Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you so much for giving up your precious time to be with Precious Art. Uh, and uh, as I'm going to quote what Lee said in, in, your, in a talk recently, and I'm not sure who the, who the artist was, but they said, life is short and art is long. <laughs> and I think that's what we'll get a, a, get a sense of today. So, um, yeah, so uh, terrific that you've joined us. And uh, it is an enormous pleasure to be talking about Dark Matter Collective from 2018. And the reason I spun around is that every time you spin around this work, uh, it changes before your very eyes. And it's, it's one of those marvelous works that uh, absorbs you, transforms you, mesmerizes you, delights and pleasures. So uh, what I decided to do is, um, I just looked on my bookshelf this morning and, um, and this lovely book on Olafa Eliasson's work, uh, Danish-Icelandic artist, he's 53 years old. In 1995, he established his studio in Berlin and he has 100 people working for him, not just craftspeople and technicians and programmers, but also demographers and archivists and scientists and a range of other people who work collectively to create the kind of projects he's, he's doing. Now, I've got a number of teaching aids, so I've printed out all of these images, which I will show you. Um, and I'm going to put that there. So, uh, and I'm going to quote quite a bit from Olafa Eliasson because his practice, he looks, he, he embraces sculpture and installations, but he also works with civic projects, public art, he also works with art education and cultural policy. So he works in a, in a very, very wide range of practice. I'm going to quote him a lot too because he's a terrific writer. And thinking about what the role of art is, and in many ways it's to expand the possibility of human consciousness. And I think somebody like Olafa Eliasson really thinks about that constantly in his work. We say that he's one of the most important and significant artists working today. So what I thought I'd do with this talk is explain why, because you can't just trust me on that, right? <laughs> I want to prove to you why we believe he's one of the most significant, respected and inspiring, I think, artists working today. His art is driven by ideas about perception, movement and embodied experience. And he's very interested in how art relates and inhabits life itself. And he has said, art is a crucial means for turning thinking into doing in this world. So he often works with light, with water, with materials like metal and glass. And he's also interested in geometry, optics, colour theory and meteorology, which we'll soon see. So issues of sustainability and climate change enter his work and have done for many decades. Now, I'm just going to talk about this work on a practical sense first and then much more broadly conceptually. Now, firstly, what are we seeing here? Um, it's 217 optical glass orbs, half-silvered, each in their very specific position. Now, I saw an earlier version of this work. This is called Dark Matter Collective. There's a piece called Light Matter Collective that I saw in the Hong Kong Art Fair. 
in uh, 2019. And uh, this work was actually in uh, Ulafa Iliasson's studio, and so we were able to acquire it for the gallery through James and Diana Ramsey uh, Fund, which was uh, tremendously important for us. And of course, as James and Diana Ramsey Fund is for works of excellent quality from any era and from any medium. So this also, it's the first Ulafa Iliasson um, in our collection and certainly uh, one of the most significant in any Australian collection. On a practical level, it weighs um, more than half a tonne and uh, you'll see that uh, there's a wall behind that wasn't there before. We actually had to build the entire wall, reinforce the wall to allow the work to be installed. It's not going to be moving very quickly. <laughs> So the work reveals itself through your perception as you move around the work. And of course, you are repeated 217 times. In fact, you are inverted 217 times, but not just you, but everything around you. And that was one of the things talking to the gallerists at the time is how it takes on and reflects and engages with everything else in the room. So, if you think about three words, perhaps, that articulate his practice, perception, atmosphere, and wonder. And the works I've chosen to discuss with you that he has made in other contexts address ice, water, gravity, and fire. But equally, they address radiance, vision, augmented reality, and the power of the sun, also social enterprise. So I'm firstly going to speak about the Glacier Melt series, and I'm not going to show an image because I want you to imagine it. In 1999, Olafa Eliasson photographed several dozen glaciers in Iceland, and, and he produced a series called the Glacier Series. 20 years later, he decided to return to Iceland to photograph the glaciers again, and that work became the Glacier Melt series. As you know, the world is facing a major um, climate emergency and the glaciers are melting. So this was 2019 and originated in 1999, revealing the dramatic impact of global warming around the world. Also, he extended that in a physical sense by working with uh, broken um, glaciers themselves, working with a Greenland ice sheet harvested from a fjord and what he did is install 12 slabs from that fjord, 12 slabs of ancient frozen ice, and installed it in a number of places. Firstly, and the one that he received most attention for, was the Paris summit uh, in 2015 at the pla uh, Place de Pantheon for the UN Climate Conference. So he, he in an interview I was watching again about him, um, he was saying that he wanted people to, to touch, to smell, to listen. These, as the ice melts, it transforms in the space and to, for, for people to, to um, connect with these ideas of global warming in, in a very personal and intimate way. Another work I want to mention is called um, simply Waterfall. And this work, I don't know if anybody can recognize where it is. Um, it's in Paris. It's at the Palace of Versailles. 
and this was part of a major project he did. It's a continuation of a series of other waterfalls that he did in New York, and I'll speak about that in a moment. Now, he called it Waterfall, and it was referencing the 17th century vision of André Le Nôtre, and he is the subject of a recent film called A Little Chaos, and he was Louis XIV's um, gardener, and he created various waterfalls, nothing, of course, to this scale, but it's an impossible waterfall that, that makes no sense, and yet it's, it's entirely grand. He did create 15 groves at um, Versailles, including smaller cascades, many of which have been established and changed because they were quite complex and expensive um, to run. But uh, this idea of fantasy and mystery was always associated with Le Nôtre. And also, he, of course, uh, then went on to design gardens in Tuileries and Champs-Élysées, and he's actually responsible for many of our contemporary ideas about urban planning and garden design. But in this case, Olafa Ilyson did a whole series of, of projects around Versailles, including a fog garden, including a beautiful ellipses and mirrors within the Palace of Versailles, as well, exploring the senses. He said, I asked people to exercise their senses, to embrace the unexpected, to drift through the gardens and to feel the landscape take, take shape through their own movement. Now, from the observer's point of view, this is a miraculous waterfall, but you move to the side and you can absolutely see all of the scaffolding that creates it. So this is part of Olafa Iliasson's modus to actually explain the wonder, but also articulate the process. And this is what we see in Dark Matter Collective with this gorgeous cradle that took several years for him to invent to be able to best present these works. Okay, if you can forge a waterfall from thin air, why not create a sun inside a building? And that's exactly what he did with a project called the Weather Project in 2003. It's also the first time I ever saw and really encountered Olafa Iliasson, and that is the same year he represented Denmark at the Venice Biennale. And it was a marvellous, the, the, um, the Danish pavilion is gorgeous and very kind of mid-modern and divine and covered in vines. And inside was this extraordinary tessellated um, the structure that you walked into. So I was very impressed with him, not knowing that at the same year he created this project that Lee got to see and went every day when she was <laughs> working in London and lay there like everybody else in front of this incredible piece. Now, he was interested in, in uh, the fact that we all talk about the weather, don't we? I mean, we talk about COVID a lot, but we also talk about the weather a lot. So the 18th century writer Samuel Thomas famously remarked, it is commonly observed that when two Englishmen meet, they first talk of the weather and are in great haste to tell each other what they already know. Um, so in the Weather Project, the fourth of the annual Unilever series of commissions in the Turbine Hall, interestingly, the artist that's about to present is Li Ming Wei in the Turbine Hall, and you might remember his, his wonderful um, uh, uh, singing project in Elder Wing. Okay, so he takes the ubiquitous subject of the weather on the basis for exploring ideas about um, mediation experience and representation. And in this case, a fine mist pervades the space, which ebbs and flows throughout the day. The source of light is a double trick because it's hanging very high above 200 mono-frequency lamps reflected in a 4,000 square meter thin aluminium mirror. So this is actually that 
are the lamps and that is the mirror. So he's creating the illusion of a sun um, from working with light and mirrors to create a dazzling radiance linking the real space with the reflection. Now, generally, these um, monofrequency lamps are used in street lighting. And what they do is knock out every color except yellow and black. So in that space, everybody becomes a silhouette in bathed in a sea of yellow haze. An extraordinary work. And he was saying, I was thinking about the way the sun sets across the sea or the reflections in Edvard Munch's paintings. And I'm thinking about this very much, because if you squint your eyes, it could be a Clarice Beckett. I'm extrapolating a very long bow here, but uh, as you know, Clarice Beckett opens on Saturday. So, um, and he has, and what is really interesting is the way he, look, people across the world are thinking about museums and what they are right now. Scholars, artists, writers, curators. Everyone is thinking what a museum is now, that we can have less people in the space, uh, that freight is so difficult, um, that people's private safety and personal safety is now absolutely paramount. And he wrote this text 17 years ago in an article which was in, included in the catalogue for the Weather Project. And he said, as long as we have had art history, we have had the discussion about whether art should be referred to as a representational system, reflecting society like a mirror, or whether it's an integrated part of society itself. And I think that's really interesting because in both projects, he's using the mirror to reflect the people that have chosen to be in that space. If we consider art as one of the many cultural trajectories in a society, these questions are little different from asking if the weather is separable from the city. Of course, the art institution is an integral part of the life of a city. Cultural institutions are among the many immune systems, and interesting he was using these terminologies 17 years ago, of a society's self-reflection. When a virus such as the commodification of our senses attacks us and the developing identity of the city's life is challenged, the immune system or should be active in restoring a plausible dialogue involving some sense of resistance. It is important to note here that I doubt whether art has any power to change things directly. I consider the field of artistic practice to be more of a giant laboratory where research on multiple fields is constantly being conducted. And that was from an essay called Museums Are Radical. Okay, next project. This project ended two weeks ago. It's in London. And if it looks like the aurora borealis in the sky and a floating iceberg, you are correct. Except the only way that you can experience this on the, on the banks of the River the Thames is with your iPhone and a program called Acute Art. You can all download that program right now, and I bet you will all be rushing to do it afterwards, because um, it will also be the basis of the next project that I'll show you. Okay, this is in a project called Unreal City. And he has said, the current pandemic has caused immeasurable suffering and disruption so, uh, in so much of our everyday existence, especially true for those of us who value and take part in cultural life, because many of the important cultural sites that we take for granted, such as museums and stadiums, are closed. 
It's important we celebrate even now that public space belongs to all of us and that it is, in fact, very valuable. So this project involved about eight artists working with a company called Acute Art, uh, which is, as I said, downloadable on your app. And those artists create augmented reality experiences. And in this case, it was all around the River Thames. And one of the other artists that was included in this project is Alice Cavade, who's also in this exhibition. So Lee, you are channeling <laughs> the world right now. <laughs> so, and this was a project called Wunderkammer. And as you know, Wunderkammer means cabinet of curiosities. And this is the project that Ulafa Eliasson did in this context. Now, a little closer to home is this image that I took in my office this morning with acute art. And this, if you're thinking back on his interest, this is called Solar Friend. And this is one of about six of his augmented reality projects that you can download on acute art. And so here it is in front of the Turkey Tolson Jeparula in my office, a giant solar friend. And that is a photograph from my iPhone taken this morning. Okay? So this is an artist that is very interested in how art can be disseminated, not through just museums, but through into the lives of people on an everyday basis. Okay, you can also download a rain cloud. I love that one because there's a cloud and then the rain falls down and I sent it the video to my husband while I was here and he was in Queensland and he freaked out and thought there was a leak in the house. <laughs> so it's very, because it comes with sound. There's also a very beautiful rainbow. There's also this floating iceberg. It really captures many of the ideas that he is very engaged with, but brings it into a very intimate and personal basis. Last night, I was playing with the iceberg that I hadn't played before, and it was just, I burst out laughing because there it was above my bed, you know. So. The sun has been a constant source of fascination for the artist. And here I'm going to talk about another project and the final project are called Little Sun. This is a project he created in 2012. It is high grade polycarbonate plastic and solar panel, LED and rechargeable battery. He invented this in 2012 with an engineer called Frederick Otterson. And the inspiration was working with people in Ethiopia, thinking about how there was such a lack of electricity for so many people living in the world today, and that kerosene heaters were very dangerous, as was wood fire. So this was a way that children at night could do their homework. This was a way that people in very difficult situations could have light to cook. There are 1.2 billion people worldwide living without electricity. So this was a project that he created for that. You can buy these in many places. You can buy them online in many museum stores. And for each one that is bought in an area that has electricity, a little sun is able to be sold at local prices by, through social enterprise, so through small groups that have been supported in those contexts. Now, how many? I thought it'd be interesting to know how many um, of these have been sold. But firstly, the Ethiopian mescal flower is the basis of the image that has been used in the lamp, a symbol of positivity and beauty. There have been 1,261,441 little suns sold. 
762,223 into areas without electricity. So that it's not just those lamps that are being sold in museum stores, it is actually impacting where the needs are most. And those figures were as of December 2020, so they're very recent figures. Uh, if you're interested in Ilias and his website is really terrific and a great source of, of research and knowledge. Thinking about the sun, that brings us back to other intergalactic concerns, and that brings us back to Dark Matter Collective. There are a number of other interests, as I said, he's always very interested in science and new research. And glass spheres, of course, have been used really as optical aids since Roman times, such as using also prisms and lenses and mirrors to focus perception and draw perspectival compositions. The apparatus behind an optical illusion is frequently revealed in his work and the artist less interested in generating these magical occurrences and more in disclosing the mechanics of wonder. And I explained that earlier. It's a, he's very interested in revealing the mechanics of wonder in everyday experiences. Now, Dark Matter Collective is a great title, of course, um, and the century-old astrophysical term refers to the as-yet-undisclosed matter that accounts for 27% of the universe. Likely a major influencer in the universe's structure and evolution, it is also undetectable by current astronomical instruments. The artist was also interested in recent studies in physics that extended the idea of dark matter to propose that a parallel universe or galactic shadow world could be comprised of dark matter, a universe that could exist as an invisible mirror of our own a very interesting concept. And I think you'll see that both with the Weather Project, um, with Dark Matter Collective, also the parallel universes that Alice Cavade proposes in her extraordinary sculpture as well. Now, this artwork, Dark Matter Collective, joins a small group, a small but wonderful group of major works by international contemporary artists that we see on permanent display. We're looking at Mark Quinn and Berlin de Bruckia and, and also on loan, um, marvellous um, works by Yayo Kasama, Tracy Eamon and the Ghanaian British painter Lynette Yardam Boake. And these works, like Dark Matter Collective, uh, we aim to have on permanent display for some time. And I'll just close, because that's my half an hour. It goes fast, doesn't it? So uh, I will close with another beautiful quote from Olafa Eliasson, and he has said, I like to distinguish between museums as reality producers and museums as reality containers, with the museums of the future taking upon itself the responsibility of being with visitors and the artists, co-producers of new models of reality. So I think that's a very interesting idea about thinking about, uh, and, it's, and it's been very influential in my thinking about museums in terms of our role as co-producers with you, with the artists of new models of reality. And I think never has a work, perhaps for some time, really captured that by the fact that you are inverted, reversed, reflected back 217 times and you're always a part of this work.
Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>